0: Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Saw Something Scary. Derek Zoo, Jeff, right here with you uh, on one of the things I'm the most excited to talk about. Uh, this week's episode is going to be on the Haunting of Hill House. Jeff, how are you, bud?
1: Derek, I have been scrambling all week. That's why this episode's coming out so late, because my schedule went sideways on us. But man, what we watched, uh, like you've already mentioned, you know, we've been looking forward to this for so long and it turned out to be not to give too much away, but so good that the opportunity to talk it over with you and throw it out there to our listeners just compensates for all the craziness
0: yeah good how are you man excuse me oh man uh this week's been nuts um just uh personally professionally this week's been nuts so it's good to hop on here and talk to you for a little bit about a a really fun project and uh we'll have some fun so we'll we'll get our mind off all the crazy stuff that's going on in our worlds and we'll focus on the uh the crazy world the hill house That sounds great. All right. Well, let's get into everyone's favorite part of the show. Jeff hates trailers. And, Jeff, I have four trailers for you this week. Uh, First one we'll start off with is uh, a trailer that I just found yesterday called The Curse of La Llorona. Okay. And uh, the the synopsis on it is this. Ignoring the eerie warning of a troubled mother suspected of child endangerment, a social worker, and her own small kids are soon drawn into a frightening supernatural realm. Their only hope to survive La Llorona's deadly wrath may be a delusion priest and the mysticism he practices to keep evil at bay on the fringes where fear and faith collide. This stars Linda Cardellini and uh it'll it'll come out sometime next year i believe april the 19th is the uh release date on that uh man i watched this trailer last night uh well bleeding into this morning and uh for uh for circumstances beyond my control i have i have my windows up right now and uh and so of course my you know my, my window's up, so the, the drapes are open, and there's a, you know, uh, my window to my house leads to my backyard, which is a very vast open space, and... I quickly shut that window after watching this trailer.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: So, um, yeah, I know that was a long explanation to get to where I was going, but I'm curious about this one. It, it doesn't look like it's going to be amazing, but it, it got me enough where I was like, Oh, okay. This is interesting.
1: Uh huh. Uh-huh. So, well, it sounds right up my alley. I have not watched this trailer yet, but if you're saying it was enough to make you close the windows and the synopsis being so in my wheelhouse, I'm definitely going to check that out. That that's going to get, did you say wide release? Or is that coming through some kind of streaming service? I'm
0: pretty, I'm pretty sure it's going to be in theaters on April, April the 19th. Let okay. me, let me double check that just to make sure. Uh, expected April the 19th, 2019 wide release. Yeah. Gone, gone be crazy.
1: Well, that'll give us something to look forward to as spring's coming back around other than, you know, the thaw from the frozen death of winter
0: (laughs) right right that gives us a couple uh that gives us something to look forward to a couple more weeks before avengers destroys us all
1: yeah for sure for sure. Well, yeah, man, that sounds great. I'm glad you brought it to my attention. I'm, I'm looking forward to checking that one out.
0: Yeah, I'm really glad I, I found that one. Uh, I found a couple gems this week, so I'm, I'm excited to talk to you about the other one as well. Um, number two is Aladdin. That's not the gem I was talking about, but still, nonetheless, a good one. Uh, live-action remake of the classic 1992 Disney movie starring uh, Robin Williams as the genie. This time, the live-action remake is starring Will Smith as the genie. And uh, they put out their first teaser trailer this week that showed the Cave of Wonders and showed Aladdin going into the cave, but didn't really show, didn't show Will Smith as a genie, didn't show uh, Jafar, anything like that. But anyway, are you, what's your, what's your take on, I don't know if you're uh, as big of a Disney fan as I am, uh, but, but what's your take on these remakes, these live action remakes of all these classic Disney movies?
1: I am a big Disney fan. Aladdin came out. I, I don't know why, but it came out when I first realized like I was old enough to ask whether or not I wanted to watch a Disney movie mm-hmm. and I liked it so much that um it's probably the one I've watched the most. So I love the I love the the cartoon version. Um the the live action ones for me have been a mixed bag. They are, I think they're the best when they're kind of following really closely to what the animated feature did. Yeah. And that makes me wonder, like, did we need a live action version? Right. So I think I've seen all of them so far. Uh, you know, I'm a dad. I got kids. But I I don't, yeah, I don't think they're essential. And um, I watched the trailer for this one. I'll I'll end up seeing this movie too, and I would even if I didn't have kids, just because of my affection for the for the film. But uh, it's just a weird it's a weird deal with Robin Williams' death, feeling so fresh. And yeah, anyway, if if I were on the creative reins here, what I would do, because you know that that genie is going to have to be some kind of CGI'd up thing, right? Sure, I would just use the voice clips we have from Robin Williams and dub it over whatever the computer generated thing says. Uh, you know, if you could get his I guess his estate to agree to that, but that's what I would have tried. I don't have any I don't begrudge Will Smith, but I'm also not like, oh dude, that's the great inheritor to, you know, what Robin Williams did. So that's kind of my stream of consciousness thoughts. What do you what do you what's your take on it?
0: Yeah, I kinda I kinda fall in that same category. I don't necessarily think there's a reason to do all these live action movies. Um mm. And, and they've been a mixed bag for me as well. With this one, I, I think Aladdin's probably in my, like my top three favorite Disney movies. And so uh, it's going to have to be really good to not like make me want to go start punching people, especially Will Smith.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I guess we're tracking pretty much the same on that. I, I guess, I, like I said, I don't begrudge Will Smith quite as much. But yeah, it's just a... It just doesn't seem necessary. It seems sort of milking the cow a little bit too much. And I'm quite happy with what we have in the animated film. So more power to them. I mean, it's their property. They get to do what they want to with it, but I, I guess I would just rather leave it alone.
0: Right. Yeah. I feel the same way. Number three is destroyer and destroyer follows the moral and existential odyssey of LAPD detective Aaron bell, who as a young cop was placed undercover with a gang in the California desert with tragic results. When the leader of that gang reemerges many years later, she must work her way back through the remaining members and into her own history with them to finally reckon with the demons that destroyed her past. And this stars Nicole Kidman and Sebastian Stan.
1: So I saw this. I I know this is a sore spot. Uh, I saw this last night when I watched the new Halloween Mm -hmm. and, you know, I'm watching that thing play out. I'm thinking, okay, cop drama, whatever. And then it says something like Nicole Kidman's finest work as a quote from a, uh, from a critic. My jaw came unhinged because I had not recognized Nicole Kidman. And, you know, the the closest comparison I could think of was Monster, where Charlize Theron became uh, Eileen Warnos. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, of course, with both of those, you have women who are just incredibly beautiful, but they made dietary makeup, all the appearance choices to become a different person. I think you and I both like Christian Bale because he does some of this stuff, too. I was blown away, man. I was absolutely floored.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think the the best comparison I can give it is Tom Cruise and Tropic Thunder.
1: Yeah, that's another that's a really good one. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, it it is. I was trying to be funny, but it is it is a pretty good one. Uh, I think your monster one's much better. Um, so I had something similar when I watched this. Uh, I saw I was scrolling through IMDB trying to find trailers uh, for today and saw Destroyer. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that looks interesting. And um, the poster of it, I don't know if you've seen, have you seen the poster of
1: it? No. Uh-uh.
0: Okay. So the poster of it looks like it's just Nicole Kidman's face as this person, right? Um, or it's, it's, half of her face and, and she looks, obviously, you know, she looks very weathered, very, um, just not Nicole Kidman. Yeah. And so, um, I, I, uh, click on the, click on the, the link for destroyer and I see that it's Nicole Kidman. And I was like, that can't be right. Something's up like that. That is in no way looks like Nicole Kidman. And then I watched the trailer and I was like, holy smokes, this is, uh, this is her Oscar.
1: Yeah, I guess that's, I guess that's right. Or that's her like go all out to get it, right? Yeah. Yeah. This is her,
0: this is her ditch effort to, uh, to get her Oscar. So looking forward to it, man, this may have to fall on the, you know, I told you uh, Christmas was probably going to be spent at the movies. So this may, this may be the third one I have to watch
1: (laughs) (laughs) on Christmas day. Well, I'll be honest with you. Like the premise wasn't enough for me to be like, okay, cool. I'm definitely watching this. But when you realize what Kidman did for the role, she must have seen something in it. And uh, just 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 to look at her, you know, when, when in the trailer, when she's like hiking her daughter up a uh, snow covered hill, you see that version of her pretty early on. And I was like, oh, there's a there's an actress I've never seen before. I guess they you know, they went for an unknown here. Mm-hmm. Um, it just piques your interest to the point where like if she believed in it enough to commit to it this way, then I've definitely got to be there to check it out. And yeah, I'm going to use a Stubbs. Reservation on that one, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Of course, uh, you know, Nicole Kidman has already won uh, her Oscar for uh, The Hours, but I'm sure yeah, she wants another yeah.
1: one. Totally forgot about that. You know, w- when we get around to that time, uh, when that movie comes out, I don't know if that would qualify for our podcast, but it may mm-hmm. be a good excuse for us to do a review of the others. Yeah, for sure, man. I'm, I'm all down for it.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so, is this this on your radar? Like this this is a definite. Yeah. You, oh, you said you said Stubbs, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm gonna check that one out unless I'm you know supernaturally prevented from doing so.
0: Right. Yeah. So, all right, and that comes out December the 25th. So not too much longer.
1: Yeah. Sweet. Hey. Okay.
0: And then f- finally, man, holy smokes, there's not many trailers that I watch that make me like that make me go, Hey, I need to talk about this with people like right now, but I got an email this week from, uh, I forget if it's universal or Sony or whoever it is, but like, they all email me, um, you know, want me to buy DVDs and stuff. Not like, Hey, you should come be in this show. I mean, that'd be awesome. But, um, I got an email this week and it was, uh, the trailer for the possession of Hannah Grace, and I said, "Oh, okay. Well, I have a horror podcast. I should probably check that out. That you know, obviously, Possession, Hand of Grace, the those all check in my wheelhouse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I uh, I clicked it and I watched it and I rewatched it and then I immediately put it on our Facebook group because I was like, I I need people to watch this and and understand
1: the effect that it's had on me." Um, I assume that I assume that you've watched it. Well, let me let me jump in at that exact point where you post that in. We saw something scary. You were gushing about it. And, you know, you and I have been doing this long enough now that I know if you're super excited for something, it's going to cover my interest as well. You know, and so the whole premise of this section of our podcast is that I don't watch trailers for movies that I know I'm going to watch because I don't want anything ruined for me uh, when I actually go see the full full film. So I had left that thing alone and I was just going to be like, Derek, tell me about this. Tell me why I should be excited and just not touch it. Treat it like an Avengers movie or something. Right. Right. Well, again, in the movie theater last night, it's like the second trailer. And dude, I was excited knowing you thought this was going to be incredible, but Mm -hmm. that trailer is one of the scariest things I've seen this year. Yeah. Uh, I was floored by how good that was. And like I was there with uh, our mutual friend, Jared Moore, friend of the podcast. And, uh, he and I both jumped at one particular part of the of the trailer, mm-hmm. and uh, the only thing I thought, having seen the trailer, was, why did they wait till November? That thing looks like it could swing with Halloween, it could, you know, whatever whatever's dropping this month, that one could have just waded into the waters and kind of said, I dare you, you know, uh, but having said that, I'm really excited that as we roll into November, I've got another awesome horror movie to look forward to.
0: Yeah, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about this movie. Uh, I mean, guys, it's go ahead and pencil it in on the calendar when it comes out we will be reviewing it and holy smokes yeah i like i'm trying to i'm trying to find where we talked about it on the on the facebook group and for some stupid reason it's not wanting to pop up um but anyway yeah i i mean it looks amazing everyone that saw it on the facebook group thought it looked amazing i i yeah i'm giddy oh here it is um so Tony Carr, shout out to Tony, said, I only made it halfway through this trailer. That had never happened. The movement of the girl is going to get me. That's what she says.
1: Well, so, you know, Tony shares my approach to trailers, I think. And, yeah, uh, she does. That is, that's the right movement. And once you see a couple of frames of that if I were able to do the same thing, I would have been like, pause. We'll save you like a fine wine for after dinner. You know, but uh, so let me ask you this. What movie does that immediately make you think of Uh, Emily Rose? Okay. Yeah, that that's in the genetic mix. There's one other that I think you and I love from our early days of this podcast that is in some ways kind of a litmus test for like the serious horror fan, whether or not they've seen the movie and watched it. Okay, go ahead and hit me. Uh, The autopsy of.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, the auto- Yeah, you had it, The Autopsy of Jane Doe. By Andre Overdahl? Yeah. Uh, I looked at that and I thought, somebody watched The Autopsy of Jane Doe and thought, how did nobody ever make an autopsy possession movie before now? And what would we do different if we could throw a lot of money at it? Right. And uh, you're right about it being Emily Rose. I thought, too, The Last Possession. Um, So, dude, talk about all the things I like in horror movies. Come on, November. Like, I already like this movie better than Thanksgiving.
0: Yeah. I uh I don't know if I can say that or not. I think besides Halloween, Thanksgiving is my
1: favorite holiday. But I'm the, I'm a weirdo. I'm totally willing to be like, Yeah, Jeff's weird, but the uh the winter holidays, Thanksgiving and Christmas, yeah. Just the, the cultural celebration I could do without. Just scrap Thanksgiving and then let's do Christmas differently and I'd be totally cool. I'll see y'all back again around Easter. <laughs> it's when I re engage with uh prominent holidays.
0: <laughs> I I think it's because uh you know I'm on such like a strict uh, workout regimen and stuff. Yeah. Thanksgiving is the day where I'm like, ah screw it. Let's eat everything. So I yeah, think sure. that's why I like Thanksgiving so much.
1: That's our national cheat day. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. But yeah dude, I this'll this'll
0: be great. Um the only thing that I'm worried about with, with this movie is when I'll be able to go watch it because I know that we're about to get swamped at work. Um, so hopefully I'll have a day off where I can go check that out. November the 30th though. So we're, uh, we're
1: what, 41 days away right now. Tick tock, tick tock, tick tock. Let's, no. uh, let's hit the skip forward button a little bit. Cause I'm. You know, if you had the Jim Carrey remote, or was it, it was Adam Sandler that had the remote Sandler. control, right? <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. And click.
1: If I had that remote, I would skip forward and uh, be there right now. So, yeah, I'm with you. Thanks for, thanks for servicing that thing. I guess I would have seen it on Halloween, but uh, gosh, man, I, I couldn't be more excited for that one.
0: Okay. So it was, it was on the on the trailers for Halloween last night.
1: Yeah. So I'll tell you, as a guy who hates trailers, the Halloween set that I got was pretty stellar. So we got, uh, pro, um, what was the one, the, the one we just got in about when Nicole Kidman, Destroyer, yeah, Destroyer, Destroyer was on there. The first trailer for Happy Death Day to you. Oh, was on there. Um, And then this one, along with Aquaman, because they're going to run that thing until forever. I was just really thankful there was no trailer for A Star is Born. I've seen enough of that. <laughs> um, but before we leave this segment, I'm going to ask you, have you seen a trailer for a movie called The Prodigy? Um, no, I have not, sir. Okay. So this one was on that same reel before Halloween and guys, I mean, this is what we do on this section of the podcast, but if you, for some reason, see this as a spoiler, you might skip forward because I'm going to talk about something specific from that trailer. Uh, so I told you, we, me and Jared jumped at one particular point in the uh, the, Han- the possession of Hannah Grace trailer. Mm-hmm. That happened again. Uh, and it, it's a total jump scare, but it's one of the ones I've never seen before. That's why I want to comment on it. So there's a scene in that trailer. This little boy is supposed to be possessed, right? Seen that a million times. Right. Little boy's up, uh, you know, out of his bed. Mom is standing at the far end of the hallway from him. Hey, honey, what's going on? He says, I'm scared. She does the mom thing, kind of stoops down, opens her arm says, come here, honey uh i'm going to leave it there but just um, when when you see that setup uh i think it's one of the most original jump scares i've seen and uh i, I you know whenever you do watch it i know you're super busy but it, whenever you do watch it mm-hmm. just text me and tell me if you're like now nah, that was super lame jeff or like oh no i get why you <laughs> thought that was cool okay yeah man
0: i'll uh i'll try to put that on the docket today to to watch and uh Trying to find it right now. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it's on YouTube. It wasn't on, for some reason, it wasn't on IMDb yet. So, but it's on YouTube. So I'll, I'll check it there and I'll, I'll report back and I'll, I'll put that in the, uh, in the trailers for the Facebook group too. Okay. So, great. well, we got a lot to look forward to and that's going to do it for this week's edition of Jeff
1: H. Trailers. And I think that takes us into this week's. I really want to talk about <laughs> the haunting of Hill House more than the news this week. So let me just rapid fire a few things at you, get your thoughts on it, and we'll kind of we'll plow through it. Okay? All right. So the first one, probably the most important news or captivating news, intriguing news that we got, I think you posted in the Facebook group, uh, which is where I saw it, and it's that the BBC and Netflix are bringing the team who brought us the Sherlock series that made Benedict Cumberbatch a star and um, they're gonna redo Dracula. What's yeah. your relationship to that that book, the movie that came out in the '90s? And then, second question is, what do you think's left to do with that material? Okay.
0: Um, so, first, I want to give credit where credit was due. That came from Jody Webster. So, oh, thanks, thank Jody. You, Jody. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. Um, no, no, no. It's fine. Uh, uh, second of all, I read the book when I was a kid, and uh, it terrified me because I was a child and should be reading stupid stuff like that. Um, I haven't revisited it, revisited it as a, as an adult. Um, it's probably something I should do, but you know, um, excuses, right? Uh, number two, I I love Dracula, the, the 1992, uh, oh man, who, who, oh, Francis Ford Coppola, the Francis Ford Coppola 1992 movie. It's one of my favorites.
1: Which I mean I think hearing you say that, I'm gonna assume that you two think that's a pretty faithful adaptation of the of the novel.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'm generally in that same category.
0: Watch the ninety two Dracula with Gary Oldman and Winona Ryder and that god awful Keanu Reeves performance. And I love Gary Oldman playing Dracula really enjoyed that movie as a kid. I've rewatched it a few times in my adult years and it, I don't feel like it holds up as much. Okay. Um, I still feel like that Gary Oldman does a wonderful job, but there's just a lot to it where I'm like, Oh man, like I wouldn't have obviously with Keanu Reeves back then, I wouldn't have thought anything about his performance, but now looking at it I'm like, why, why Why did you do that? That was just a, that was a horrible casting choice. (laughs) Bill and Ted spooky adventure. Yeah. 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 Like I just kept waiting on that dude that played the Grim Reaper to come up and (laughs) and uh, and be a part of it Or, or the guy playing Abe Lincoln or whatever. Yeah, so I enjoyed that and now I posed the question and nobody really answered me on this so I'm I'm assuming that no one watched it but me and it's probably why it got canceled. But there was a there was an NBC TV show called Dracula that was on probably 4 years ago. Oh. Uh it was like I said it was on NBC. It starred uh Jonathan Rhys Meyers as huh. Dracula and uh it was sort of a reimagining of the tale. He was um he he was British you know Dracula himself was British but he was trying to pass himself off as like this American businessman and um and so it, it was it was interesting but uh like I said I, I think like me and three other people watched it because they canceled it after the first season but I, I was interested to see where it was going and and it was really leading into it, it kind of left it on a cliffhanger and it was really leaning into a pretty you know cool second uh season but uh, just not enough people were watching it. So uh, I'm, I'm sure that you could probably find that on Amazon if you guys are interested in watching it. Um, I would have said that there's nothing left to do with this story or this character. But if it's going to be like Jody looked at it like a Sherlock meets dracula type thing mm-hmm. um and if it's anything like that then i'm all in because i love sherlock with benedict cumberbatch and, and uh martin freeman and i i do love the dracula character so um
1: i'm in yeah me too and it's gonna be on netflix um if i can put my literary snob hat on for just a minute If my recollection is correct, Dracula became a thing because it represented the time when Victorian England was starting to make real substantial contact with these other cultures that, you know, because of basically travel they were having they were pretty isolated from, but mm-hmm. you know, seafaring and stuff like that was starting to open up new relationships of trade and whatnot. And so Dracula represented both the allure of the other as well as the danger that they might represent. Right. Because mm-hmm. you got like sexy time Dracula, but then he's gonna suck your blood. Right. Um, corrupting, you know, the the Victorian society. Like all that's built into that text. And thinking through our relationship to other cultures, how we deal with uh, the other as they come to our shores and we go to theirs, uh, it seems like that's material that maybe the time has come to take another look at. I won't be surprised if this becomes some kind of, I think, skillful. This is not me trying to, like, criticize it, but I won't be surprised if this comes as some kind of inquiry into immigration policies and, and things like that. Because it seems like mm-hmm. a lot of Europe and America, some of the Latino countries are sorting through those things afresh, you know? Yeah. All that to say, surprise, surprise. They picked something that's got more life in it than I would have expected. And they gave it to a great team. Uh, I expect big things. Yeah. Yeah, I do too, man. I, I really hope that it's gonna going to be as good as we hope that it is. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, if I what? was somebody who, who got, you know, a call for casting on this, I would be doing everything I could calling in every favor because, again, Cumberbatch and Freeman, I mean, there's pretty much high profile as you get right now, Cumberbatch particularly, and it, it came through these guys' creative hands. So we might be seeing, we may see some new stars launched as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it could be. I hope so. Yeah, Yeah. Anything else on that one? Uh, no, I'd like to just circle back around. And, and what's your thoughts on that Dracula movie?
1: Oh, I I like it. It uh it is faithful to the to the source material, which is one of my main criteria for for like the books that have been vetted over time. And people are like, no, 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 that thing's really good. Like I I just want you to to honor the material rather than try to put your unique spin on it. Uh, and that's my default setting. It is a moment in time, though, man. I mean, it, it, it just can't help but be a little bit dated. Now there's a there's a gossamer tint to it, and yeah. I can't Keanu very much like you date your movie just by having him in it, yeah. uh, and so I can admire it as a historical artifact still, and still enjoy it as someone who got to see it originally. Like you can kind of go back to that headspace. I don't know if if a twenty two year old, twenty three year old coming across that today though is going to care for it a lot. Yeah, I don't know. Am I being too uncharitable?
0: No, man. I'm so sorry. Uh, no, I, I think you. I think you're. You're. That's fine. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of things that you wonder what's left to be done, we uh, we heard from Robert England recently that he wants to see a prequel to A Nightmare on Elm Street. So I'm going to throw you a dichotomy. You tell me this is going to be a choose your own adventure book, okay? Mm-hmm. Is a prequel to Nightmare on Elm Street... The last compelling story that can be told from that world. Okay, you got to pick one of these. It's the last one that can be told. You know, after this one's over, we got to kind of put a bow on and say it's a complete thing. Or is this, in some ways, like my criticism? I think you subscribe to it as well, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. Uh, my criticism of Rob Zombie's Halloween movies: we don't need to see the monster formed. We just need him to be dropped into our lives and start wrecking uh, our sense of security. So, so is a prequel? You know, the last. And maybe the crowning tale to tale in the Nightmare on Elm Street world, or is it going to ruin the mystique of Freddy? <sighs> hmm. I...
0: I hope that it doesn't ruin the mystique of Freddy, but I I do agree with you in the sentiment of um, I enjoy it when the, the villain or the monsters just are there. They just choose to be and you don't get a backstory on it.
1: You know, we do have a little bit of Freddy's backstory, but I think we have just enough to let your imagination do what no movie can do. You know, he he was in some ways abusing children. Parents got, you know, cornered him. Burnt him up. Like what my imagination pictures there. I think is going to be more significant than anything they could trot out on a soundstage. Does
0: that make sense? Yeah. Didn't they try to do his backstory in that Jackie Earl Haley, Freddy Krueger movie?
1: you know they may have i ha- i hadn't even thought about that one uh the entire time i was prepping for this episode so maybe that is a one and done for me and yeah. I i'll just have to go look at that but that very well may have have happened
0: and you know i hated that because i like jackie earl haley
1: me too man
0: and i i thought if anybody was going to uh succeed robert england it would be somebody like jackie earl haley mm-hmm. and That's they just they did him no service in that movie
1: completely agree i also wonder what his agent is like um I think the movie's underrated, but I love the reboot of RoboCop. I don't like it better than the originals, but, you know, that thing was destroyed, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah. And one of the reasons I enjoyed it is because Jackie Earl Haley is great in it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, You know, and that that kind of started the Michael Keaton renaissance, too, that movie
1: Yeah, that's true, that's true
0: So, thank God for RoboCop, that's what I'm trying to say That's what we're trying to say If you you don't get anything else out of this episode, just thank God for RoboCop
1: Well, sorry, Robert England, the Saw Something Scary guys uh, have killed your idea, buddy And I think we all know who carries more weight in Hollywood nowadays
0: That's right, Jordan Peele's on my speed dial, so suck it, Robert
1: England (laughs) Uh, Speaking of continuing franchises, John Carpenter dropped this news that there may be a sequel to They Live. Yeah, I I read that this morning. Isn't that a trip? I'm so excited. Well, I'm... (laughs)
0: How do you do it without Piper though, man?
1: Oh, that's, I think that's the immediate question. And I was, I was curious what your take on that would be. Is this something that can, yeah. Do we just need to leave this thing alone or do we, do we say, Hey, it's, it's Carpenter. It's they live and let's run.
0: I'm, I mean, I guess it just depends on on who gets in there and, and, uh, and, and takes care of it, you know?
1: Yeah. Well, so what he said, this is kind of frustrating because this would really pique my interest. What he said is that there was a feature film called Resistance that Matt Reeves wrote, and he called him the Apes guy. And I mean, who hasn't loved those Planet of the Apes movies? Uh, but then Reeves moved on. And uh, so he says, and so the sequel as well, we'll see. We'll just have to see. But... Like man, you get that kind of a you get that kind of talent attached to it. I'm going to miss Hot Rod, but I'm also going to be very interested. You know?
0: Yeah, for real. Um, I think the best way to to do it would be to have Dean Ambrose play. uh, (laughs) He's the closest thing to Piper we have, right? So just I'm sorry, you
1: you mispronounced Ronda Rousey there. I don't (laughs) don't know if you realize that.
0: (laughs) Look, man, I don't give a darn about her bad reputation. All right.
1: (laughs) Yeah. All right. So would we we killed the prequel to A Nightmare on Elm Street? Would we give this a tenuous? Let's see what you can put together.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic on this one.
1: So if we were taking this as a pitch meeting, we would be like, All right, go see what you can put together. Here's some seed money, and come back to us. Yeah, like I need a script. I need your cast.
0: I need. uh, Yeah, I need a budget, and then let's let's figure out what we're gonna do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Well, um, to transition more closely to, to our main subject, have you looked at these lists that are popping up about the hidden ghosts that are sprinkled throughout The Haunting of Hill House? <clears throat> yeah. So I didn't realize that there were you know multiple versions of this, but I did catch one. And, uh, I'll tell you about it when we get past spoiler territory, but I just want to say one, I love Mike Flanagan. Isn't it great that he tells this story and does all the good stuff he does with it, but he just goes and does the extra like fan service of dropping these other ghostly appearances as Easter eggs throughout the movie or excuse oh, me, throughout yeah. the series. Yeah, it's great. Uh, I'm looking at the list on bloody disgusting. They've got how many ghosts are in each episode. And I guess you can kind of treat this like finding hidden Mickeys at Disney world. Um, I think some are more obvious than others, but most of these I didn't. I didn't find. There was only one that I really saw in the initial watch through. But if you're somebody like us who enjoyed this and are looking for an excuse to watch it again, here's your reason: there's hidden ghosts. Go find them. Are you ready to move this bad boy along? Yeah,
0: hey man, let's uh let's pull the string.
1: All right, so let's pull the curtain on. Netflix's and Mike Flanagan's Haunting of Hill House. Uh Derek, you got anywhere
0: you want to start on this one? Yeah, man. First and foremost, let's uh let's call in our good buddy Marky Mark. What? No. Spoiler alert. I think first and foremost, I just want to ask you. Is this your favorite Mike
1: Flan- Flanagan project? Absolutely. Yeah. Um now. I probably won't watch this one as often as I've watched Hush, uh, Gerald's game, but it's just because they're smaller doses. It's much easier to kind of get through them in one sitting. But I, I feel like this is Mike really at the, at the height of his powers and delivering everything I like about his work. Now, I don't think it's perfect. I think there's some flaws I want to bring up later, but I, I well, I, I'll say it this way, Derek, to make a long story a little bit shorter. I feel like this is. Not ironically, the offspring of Oculus and Gerald's Game. And those are two of my three favorite works that he's done. Two of my top like 15 horror movies. And it's delightful to get to spend so much time with it. So, yeah. yes, love to hear you answer the same question, if you if you will.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I think that probably Hush is my favorite um Flanagan project outside of uh, well before before this uh, before the haunting of Hill House mm-hmm. and yeah I, I you know it's probably because we do get to spend a longer amount of time with these characters really dive into this world and stuff but but yeah this this is really honestly man it's kind of like. All of Flanagan's projects came together to make a delicious stew.
1: I mean, in some ways, this is the house of Flanagan that yeah. we're watching, you know.
0: I mean, but really, I mean, it is. I mean, this is the Flanagan universe, right? Mm-hmm. Kate Siegel's here. Carly Gugino's here. Um mm-hmm. yeah gosh, that lady that played Mrs. Dudley, who's, uh, popped up in a few things is here. Lulu Wilson is here. Like this is, this is good stuff. And, um, you know, and, and he's, he's relying on people that he has worked with before. And he's relying on actors that are not only good, but are actors who he brings the best out of. And that's something I want to talk about later, but I, there's, there's several of these actors that I've seen in other projects and they're never as good as they are when they're with Mike Flanagan. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, And by the way, I I think I speak on behalf of Jeff when I say that the next the next few uh, minutes that we're here talking about this show is just going to be a complete uh, love fest on Mike Flanagan. I don't think we've ever been overly critical about anything that he's ever done. Like he's he's one of my favorite directors. I think you've actually went
1: on record saying he is your favorite director. Yeah. You know, if I'm if I'm being level headed, he's still going to go behind Nolan. Yeah. But
0: he he's no one's the only one that I would I would put him up against either.
1: Yeah, and you know, if if so it, it, this is way into my own inner workings which nobody really cares about, but like if somebody put a gun to my head and said, "You've got to have a successful scary movie and you get to pick whoever, but if it's not successful, we're going to kill you and your loved ones." Even as much as I know Nolan's better, I'm probably going to reach for Mike Flanagan. Yeah. Now, one of these days Nolan's going to come out with a horror movie that's going to like I don't know, put me in therapy. It's so scary or something. So <laughs> I totally believe he's got the powers. We just have such a track record with Nolan at this point. I mean, excuse me, with Flanagan at this point that in the thriller or horror genre, I don't know who's more trustworthy.
0: Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. And uh, yeah, this this really is it's <clears throat> I don't want to say it's is it's opus, but uh, man, it's close, right? It's opus length for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. Um, I, I was really shocked at how much this was. Uh, this relied on the family unit to tell the story. Like this wasn't your standard. I mean, it was your standard like haunted house story, but it wasn't like your standard horror movie or horror show, right? Like to me, I think the best way that I could describe it. I think I. I, I don't think this is an original thought for me. I think I read this somewhere, but this wound up being this is us with ghosts.
1: Yeah, that's well said. I, well, and also to continue the theme we were talking about, ready, right? You could call this House of Flanagan. The other thing this is is the Flanagan – Family reunion set in a haunted house. Yeah. Um, And I guess it makes sense that I feel so compelled by these characters as a family unit. One, because I've seen them work in other projects with this director that I've liked. So I've got a a pre-existing relationship with them, right? But then two, they also have a pre-existing relationship with the director and and in some ways each other. And it just comes across like, oh, no, this is actually a family, you know, a family with secrets and to use their phrasing ghosts and, and a lot of brokenness but also the kind of family who's going to really hang together in tough times. And so, uh, yeah, This Is Us works. And this is one of the more believable big families I've seen portrayed on, you know, a major – it's not broadcast, uh, but, you know, sort of a a major production, film production. Were you struck by how much they look like each other? Yes. And I I don't just mean that they look like they could be – Oh, what's the guy's name? He was the creepy dad in Gerald's game. Um, um,
0: he played... Oh, Bruce he played, Greenwood. Who? What's his name? Uh, no, no. Bruce Greenwood was the husband. I'm sorry. Henry um, Thomas.
1: Henry Thomas. Yeah, Henry
0: Thomas. There it is.
1: So, Henry Thomas as a younger guy looks like Timothy Hutton as an older guy. Yeah. And the kids look like they could be the offspring of Henry Thomas and Carla Gugino. Like... And then the little girl looks like she could have grown into that woman. Like, the casting is incredible. Yeah. And again, that would be amazing enough if he just took the whole slate of available actors and actresses. But the fact that it's Lulu Wilson who looks like, you know, her older counterpart will look when she grows up. It, I mean... I it, it's almost like supernatural I mean we've we've been accused recently of gushing too much about things we like <laughs> but it just it's like the cosmos lined up and said I'm just gonna put all these people in the same historical moment so they can really sell you on the idea that this is the family and then this is the family grown up
0: yeah yeah it's it's I mean it's it's really kismet man honestly like yeah. it's just Yeah, it's – it's. I mean, I want to say that I'm I'm impressed by it, but really it's just Flanagan being Flanagan.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess – you know, I was talking to a friend of mine about the – to go way uh, cross-reference here about the debate is, you know, is LeBron James the greatest basketball player ever or Michael Jordan, right? And we were talking about MVP seasons and stuff like that, and I was pointing out that both those guys have suffered from excellence boredom where, like, we're going to look back at them and be like, how did this other player win the MVP that year? And the answer, whatever answer that we come up with, the the true answer is going to be people just got bored with voting for LeBron or got bored with voting for Jordan. And I hope that doesn't happen to Flanagan. There's been more pushback against this uh, series online than I would have hoped for. But I'm just going to tell you right now, even as a guy who's got, you know, a few things I would quibble with on this movie. um, This is excellence in front of us. And, you know, woe to us if we start becoming bored by it, because it is just Flanagan being Flanagan. But that's that's better than like 97 percent of what is being pumped out by anybody else. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that, man um can can we just talk about like the acting that we would highlight and say this person's really great, yeah, yeah absolutely man uh
0: i you you tell me if I'm wrong on this or not, but I think
1: that uh Carla Gugino is the m v p of this series okay that's that's a good place for us to start because she you know she plays two different versions of this character in this movie, right. And there's one that I think is incredible. And the other, I thought like you could dial that down about one, you know, a tenth and that it would probably be better. So here, okay. here's my thoughts. You tell me where I'm wrong. Okay. She is great when she starts becoming afflicted by the house. Mm-hmm. And then when she becomes one of the house's ghostly residents. Okay. I thought they tried a little too hard with her when she was in, this is a great mom mode. Okay. She seemed a little too, um, for my taste anyway, just a little bit too cutesy in some of her mannerisms and her vocal inflections. And so I guess really with me, I guess I was primed to say, I've got to find something about this that I say is not done to perfection. And if I had been directing her, which nobody wants, we all want Nolan to do that, but I would have told her to dial it down a tenth. So that that's where I'm at. It's a small criticism, but that's what I would say. Sure. Um.
0: I mean, I I think that's fair. I don't I don't think that that's like uh, too far fetched of a <coughs> excuse me. Other, well, <coughs> I'm really choked up by your opinions, Jeff. I don't appreciate them at all. Um. Yeah, I don't think that's too fetched of a of a criticism. So if if uh, you don't agree with me on the Carla Gugino is the MVP of the series, who would you give that award to if you had if you had any? Um, anybody that you had to vote for, put that in for.
1: Can, can you have co-MVPs? Y- yeah, absolutely. I'm going to go Hutton and Henry Thomas. Okay. Uh, right. I thought those guys, in, you know, the eras they were playing uh, really nailed their characters. and But then also they working together made me believe they were the same character. I, I never came away going. It's not. It's just not believable that the guy who comes into Hill House to restore it turns into this guy who's trying to keep his family out of the red room. I, I mean, I even think sort of like their their posture and stuff uh, look the same. Like when he's when uh, Hutton's in the funeral home with the when the family's all gathered up after the death of of Nail, mm-hmm. the way he stands and like cocks his shoulders and stuff. I was like, I, that looks like Henry Thomas playing that character.
0: Yeah,
1: I, I get that on the set they were telling each other to do this, but I just really thought they made me believe both timelines by being the same character. So there's me. Okay.
0: Um, If,
1: if I were going to give it to anybody, but Carly
0: Gugino and, and do uh, co MVPs like you did, I would look towards um, Victoria Pedretti and Oliver Jackson-Cohen, who played Nell and Luke, Mm -hmm. because my goodness, man, I mean, you talk about meaty roles that actors can sink their teeth into. Uh, Not only were those both those roles that, but also the amount of talent that it takes to to nail both of those roles and to really make those characters come to life, because especially with. uh, Well, uh, I mean, in the situation with Luke. We've all seen people play the junkie character before, and we've all seen it done poorly at times. Uh, This was a guy who seemed like he had he had screwed up. Um, you know, I, I, he it's it's wonderfully done the way that they introduce him in that first in that first episode where um, mm-hmm. he's coming down the stairs with the iPad mm-hmm. and Stephen. You know, Stephen is is in that first episode. Stephen is looked at as the hero of this thing, right? Yeah. And by the end of it, I thought he was the biggest scumbag of the of the five of them.
1: Well, I, see, we didn't talk about this before, so this is completely us being on the same wavelength. After Thomas and Hutton, I said, uh, Nell and Luke. And, and here's the thing. If they don't make you love them you don't care about the rest of the family. Because like you said, the more you get to know the oldest son, the more you realize this is a facade, Shirley becomes unbearable. Um, and they say it about her. Now she also, I think this is like, maybe the, the writing was dialed up 10% too much, but Kate Siegel's character, which I, I came into this thinking, oh, I'm going to love Kate Siegel. And of course she did a great job, but she's a fist with hair. And it's just hard to love those kind of characters. But through through uh, Nail's eyes and watching Luke. Go from that big goggle eyed boy to the to the guy living on the street. I mean that's that's what pulls your heart into this series, right? Yeah. And and it's the, the way that this series pulls your affections in that really gives it the weight that, that I think I feel coming coming at me as a viewer.
0: Yeah. Um yeah, I, I agree with that as well. Uh, can we talk about the kids, the the child
1: actors? Well, yeah. Before we move on, though, I just want to say one more thing about sure. Victoria Padretti, uh-huh. who I don't know her from anything else. She's done work and other stuff. I don't know that I've ever seen her on uh, camera before. Yeah, but I feel like I know her. Like I I spent the you know the last like four episodes of that thing going. Now where did I meet that girl? Yeah, because she is so realistic as a character and her earnestness, man. Just how earnest she is as the little sister who's believing the best and hoping. Hoping the best and uh pursuing, you know, the good of her family. It's just, gosh, she's so lovely, man. Anyway, I'm, I'm a fan now. So Nolan has helped me meet Kate Siegel and become a huge fan. Elizabeth Rieser and become a huge fan. Now I'll add Victoria Padre to that too. Uh Anyway, so yeah, let's talk about the kids.
0: Yeah, man, I really thought that McKenna Grace and Violet McGraw did a great job as Theo and Nil, mm-hmm. respectively.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um of course Lula Wilson's in this and Lula Wilson is amazing. Um and the guys that play, uh, young Steve and young Luke, I thought they were they were great as well. It's just Everyone had an arc, and I think that's the that's the beauty of doing this as a TV series instead of as a movie. Is you really get to know everyone, and you really get to um, you really get to explore their backstory. If you have an hour and a half, people are going to get thrown by the wayside. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it takes a lot. It, it takes a very skillful director to to put seven characters into a ninety minute movie and make you care about all of them.
1: Right? Absolutely. Or even a two hour. You know, that's been sort of the, I think, some of the pleasant surprises from the Marvel Cinematic Universe that these guys are taking a two-hour movie and, and giving these huge ensemble casts pretty much the kind of attention you would hope for, but it's super rare, and it's one of the things that's propelled them onto excellence, so absolutely right, Derek. So,
0: uh, you know, so that, that's the great part about this, and, and uh, yeah, I just, I thought the kid actors did great, but I really thought that McKenna Grace, um, who, <laughs> McKenna Grace, the only thing I've ever seen her in is Fuller House, uh-huh. where, she, where she plays, uh, you know, the little boy's uh, love interest, and she She's, you know, doughy-eyed and and, uh, cute and precocious and adorable she has a really difficult character to play with Theo. Theo is very nuanced and just very, there's a lot going on in her life. Mm -hmm. And I thought that for, you know, a a girl that young to be able to portray that was just amazing. And uh, in Violet McGraw as Nell, uh, I think it was the first time that I, I teared up in the series was in episode six, where she's standing around and she's like, I was here the whole time and you guys couldn't see me. And I was just like that's that's heavy stuff to have a little girl like that saying and she's knocking it out of the park, man.
1: Yeah, man. And, you know, the end of the um, the end of the show when Luke is in the red room and he's you know, his mom is compelling him to stay. She is such a moral authority. I mean, again, uh, it's weighty. It's weighty to describe her that way, but she's a moral authority saying don't leave. You know, she's she's the one safe voice in that room. And he got pulled off by a little girl who like, I'm not sure how long it's been since she was potty trained. I mean, she's so young. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I'm with you. And and again, Flanagan, man, Flanagan works with kids and you're like, Oh, it must not be hard to get good performances from children, but it's his touch, man. It's just his touch. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, (laughs) This is such a great, great movie. So you, you know, you talked about, um, Kind of how you know what's your favorite? I think on as we've on this podcast rewatched through the uh, the Flanagan verse, you know we've covered all of his movies at this point. Uh, the The thing that stands out to me about this movie is that you know I I criticized Oculus from for for sort of not being as enjoyable on a rewatch to hop back and forth between the two timelines. Um, I really feel like he's perfected that version of storytelling here in this project. Um, The way uh, the way that like. You mentioned um, Luke coming down the stairs, and older brothers there, and it looks like the junkie brothers robbed him. But it turns out he's trying to help this girl from rehab. Or, you know, we see Theodora dancing in her dance studio and she sees the door moving and she knows somebody's on the other side. But, you know, it's just, you know, the first time you see it, it sort of feels like it's just a little creep out. Uh, Then then you realize, no, that was actually the house tricking everybody because uh, the other sisters are outside trying to get into the red room. And earlier when you saw the feet move across the red room from the other side and you thought it was chilling, that was Theodora in there dancing like he has just, he's become a weaver, right? And right. Uh, I, I just, I, I can't imagine it do, being done better. Yeah. No, man. Completely agree. Completely you, you, agree. We've got something to compare this against when Muschietti's second It comes out, right? Sure. Absolutely. And, and that book tells that tale largely, you know, kids, adults. But I just wonder, do you try to even do the flashback stuff? Do you, how much do you, of it do you do? Do you just keep the hard line between the two? Um, in, in this case, I think Nolan made an incredible choice and pulled it off masterfully.
0: Yeah, for sure, man.
1: Um, so there's been criticism though online that the movie, or excuse me, that the series is too slow and the scares aren't intense enough. You know, if, if I were the one saying that on here, uh, some, some alien intelligence took over my body and I'm telling you that, what would you say back to me?
0: I don't feel like that's true. Uh, It it might be a twinge too slow. Like there were there were a couple of times where I was like, okay, let's let's get to it. But for the most part, man, I was enthralled with this family and I was enthralled in what was going on in their lives. And it seemed like that the moment that I got very like that I was all the way in was when something scary would happen. And I would be Mm -hmm. like, oh, there it is. So, yeah, I, I I think sometimes, you know, it's kind of like what we were talking about with Venom a couple of weeks ago, right? Or, or last week where people have become comic book snobs. Mm-hmm. I think now that we're in such a great age of horror, which, by the way, you're welcome. Um, <laughs> I feel like that, the, you know, we're, <clears throat> we're also starting to become horror snobs again. So, um, I mean, everyone's a to on their opinion, but I don't I don't see it. So,
1: yeah. I, so a, a lot of the, you know, not surprisingly, a lot of what you said is right out of my on thinking, too, if you came into this movie expecting something you could put on or this series, put on on a stormy night and sit down with for 90 minutes and just be, you know, moving from one scare to the other, you probably were disappointed. This isn't Annabelle the Conjuring, or excuse me, the Conjuring Annabelle, the beginning. Um, this isn't this isn't designed to do that and so if you came in thinking that sure maybe you came away from it disappointed but i also think if you come to this and let the let the series approach you on its own terms don't bring those preconceived notions i think this is a great ride because like you said it's a character drama and uh, a study of, of a broken family life that then very quickly and readily moves you into some scary stuff some of the scare being just how humans bounce off of each other but then the other yeah. part being ghosts and goblins and scary stuff <clears throat> yeah for sure uh
0: where do you think that this series is the like if you if you had to uh pick like a best episode or or even a two best episodes where would you where would you find those at do you think
1: well this my review of this you know if we were doing this episode by episode my reviews probably wouldn't have been as favorable until episode five. Okay. And episode five for me, I mean, it, it, it was like I was living in this world. It just mm-hmm. pulled me right in. And it was at that point that I couldn't really look away. I I went through those episodes much quicker. Um. So episode five for me is the linchpin of this thing. And everybody I've been talking to who's like, I don't know if I want to watch this for 10 episodes or I'm going to get started on that. I told them I was like, don't quit this till you're done with episode five. Yeah. And, uh, man, I mean, I, I texted you when I saw it, you know, I want to hear your thoughts about episode five. Can, can we talk about that for just a minute? Yeah. Can,
0: can I just, can I tell everyone the response I sent you after I got yeah. it done? Yeah. <laughs> I just sent Jeff a text that said, Oh damn. Yeah. <laughs> after it was over. Uh, yeah. So, so episode 1 for me was good um and and it hooked me. Episodes 2 and 3 were kind of a slog to get through mm. but just because it was setting up so much backstory, right? It's world building, right. Yeah. Um episode 4 was where I got hooked with the uh, with the man with the cane and the bowler hat.
1: Yeah, I've got that list of as favorite moments on mine too.
0: Yeah, it, that's where that's where I was like okay, now now we've we've built the world, now we're going to start living in it. Um, you, you were able to watch this a little bit ahead of me, although ironically, I think I finished it before you did. Yeah, you did. Um, but you, you were a little bit ahead of me. And so you put in the Facebook group, um, you know, the small spoiler alert, but I'm going to need a minute after episode five. And then that's when you text me and you're like, I can't wait to get your reaction on it. And then I guess maybe a day or so later I was able to watch it and that was my reaction to it. Uh, I mean... I don't
1: know I don't even know how to describe that that episode besides heartbreaking. Oh my gosh, man, it's some of the again, hyperbole, but I I'm I'm just telling you, I'm honest with this. It's one of the most heartbreaking things I've seen on TV. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, of course, guys, if if your chronology is a little muddy on this one, this is the Bent Neck Woman episode where you go back with Nell through all the times the Bent Neck Woman has appeared in her life and the way she has been around for significant moments of tragedy. And uh, of course, at the end, you realize that Nell is the Bent Neck Woman and again, with, with Nolan as a storyteller, so you you come to that episode thinking that the Bent Neck Woman is a specter from Hill House that has attached itself to Nell and is ruining her life, right? Is that fair? Right. Yeah, absolutely. You, you believe that once Nell finds happiness the bent neck woman kills her husband in front of her. Mm-hmm. Um, and then by the time you get to the end of that freaking episode, you realize that Nell, the house has made Nell through deception, the bent neck woman, as it kills her and traps her within itself, and then forces her to appear at those moments throughout her own life. Yeah. And I, what I wrote back to you after you saw it is, I, I now hate this house for doing this to Neil. Like, I want to be the guy going in with a can of gas and saying, you freaking monster and burn the dang thing down.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, the the house. I'm, I'm sorry. Um, my, my brain's going faster than my mouth's wanting me to today. <laughs> um, the house goes from a character in the show to the villain you want to see die in the show at the end of episode five.
1: Well said. You're right. That's the villain turn. Episode six, too, man. You know, the the family's falling apart, they're they're fighting with each other, everything's gone sideways, and Nell's casket gets knocked over and you realize it's her that did it to like get their attention and she's just standing there with them. Uh, killed me again too. When when they're all going back to Hill House for that final time, and the sisters are in the uh, in the car together, they can't get over what it looks like Theodora has done, and they're fighting again. The biggest jump scare in the movie to, or in the series to me is when Nell Nell's ghost comes charging out of the back seat, but she does that to break them up fighting. <laughs> you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. It's,
1: it's just so loaded, man. It's so loaded. Yeah, it's. I mean,
0: it's 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 the Shrek syndrome, right? There's just so many layers to it. Yeah, it's a it's a wonderful thing. I'll tell you this though, man. As as good as episode five was, and I think it probably is the the, the pinnacle of this series. I think that episode six is right there with it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you've got the the very tense wake. Uh, you've got the first time that we've seen these adults all get into the same room together. Mm-hmm. Dad's
1: back. Yeah.
0: And, um, you know, and and also, I don't know if you I don't know if you saw or if you've read about this or not, but did you know that episode six almost wasn't completed? Oh, no, I didn't know that. (laughs) Yeah. So basically that entire episode is one big shot and they had to do it over like 18 minute long takes. And so here's some inside baseball for you guys who may not be um, actors or in the profession or anything like that. Most of the time when you're on set, your takes aren't going to be any longer than five minutes. Okay. Um, you, you you do a small chunk of your scenes, small chunk of your lines, and then um, it's hurry up and wait where you'll you'll do a scene. You know, it takes however long it takes. And then you cut You may shoot it from that angle again, um, you know, four or five different times or however many times you can. I've, I've only done independent movies. You don't have much time on independent movies, right? Like, you know, you're doing like, Hey, we're doing a two week shoot and we, we've got 17. It was like being on Ed Wood, right? You remember, (laughs) well, I don't guess you've seen the Johnny Depp, Ed Wood movie, but you know, Ed Wood's like doing 47 takes through the day that normally doesn't happen. Um, Or excuse me, 47 scenes during the day that normally doesn't happen. But you, uh, you know, you do the scene several times. Uh, to where the director feels like it's good, then the entire set switches for another camera angle mm, gotcha so with these um you know I, I read an article where the actors were saying like yeah, it was basically like just a play like I started memorizing episode six six months in advance and normally with with stage plays you have about six to eight weeks of rehearsal before you run it okay uh, these guys had two weeks to take care of this. And so they were doing they were doing scenes up to like eighteen to twenty minutes long, and it was on this very uh, convoluted dolly where the camera was to keep you know to get the swoops and the angles and everything like that. I would compare it to if you've ever seen um, another Michael Keaton, Keaton reference. If you've ever seen Birdman, yeah. I would compare it to those long takes that they had, those one shot takes in Birdman. Yeah. Where they're swooping through. Basically, that's the same thing that was going on here. Okay. So, so they got the take, they, or they got. one-shot. One in the can. Um, I think they went for another one, and it messed up. And Flanagan was like, "We have to get another one, just for safety's sake." They got the second one, and I believe, like, like minutes later, the dolly broke, and there was no way that they would be able to oh. to do it again. Oh, incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. So um, that's for all you technical nerds out there like me that that like to read stuff like that. And you're like, oh, man, that's really cool. Um, But episode six, you know, the dad comes in for the first time. Timothy Hutton is with the kids. The kids are, you know, throwing emotional baggage at each other. But and and it's that beautiful, you know, like I was saying, those beautiful one shots where it sweeps from Timothy Hutton to Hill House and, and Henry Thomas. And the kids are kids. And then it swoops back, and they're adults. And I mean, it was just—it was amazing. And, and and they're finally able to like open up to each other. And you're seeing, you know, and 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 you're seeing all these things begin to unravel. And you're and you're really starting to see this family unit and what, you know, you you can't spell uh, fun without dysfunctional, right? Or dysfunctional without fun. And so you're really starting to see this this family. You know, come together, but also still be torn apart. Mm-hmm. And at, at the very end of it, you've got Nell as the bent neck lady going, "I've been here the whole time, yeah. and, and you guys are just ignoring me." And I, dude, like, for me, that was that was the part where I was like, "Oh, I gotta turn this off for a minute <laughs> and just had to decompress because, honestly, man." there may not be a lot of frights in this. And I know that you said something similar to this earlier. Um, there, there's not a lot of frights in
1: this quote unquote, but there's a lot of horror in Ooh, this show. Absolutely. Well, that's so well said there that that's what I would say back to, you know, the, the people I've read being critical on this, that it, if you don't see the horror in this, I almost feel like you're one of these people who can't see the ghosts in Hill House. Like, what are you even looking for? You know, I, I don't mean to pick a fight. I'm just saying that there's so much anguish and stuff to be afraid of dripping from every bit of this thing. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's it's masterfully done, man. And uh so five and six are the pinnacle. Uh, seven and eight are good. Nine, I thought was really good. Probably nine might be Carlo Gugino's best episode. You think?
1: Yeah, I think that's fair.
0: And then, uh, what I want to talk to you about—I know we're we're kind of running long here—but what I w- what really want to talk to you about is the ending of this thing because um, I've read a lot of mixed reviews online. I've spoken to several of our—we saw something scary. Uh, friends uh, from the Facebook group and everyone seems divided on whether or not they thought that this was wrapped up well, whether they enjoyed it, whether, um, you know, just, just the whole thing. So I really just I want to get your opinion on it. Were you happy with the ending of it, Jeff? Did you did you feel like that there was an about face with some stuff that was perplexing? Did you think that it was too happy? Is, is that a thing in a
1: horror movie to have too happy of an ending? Those are all great questions. And I'm glad to know other people zeroed in on that because truth be told, I'm still undecided. Um, here's what I'm going to say. I think that ending works as a capstone to what Nolan wanted to do. Okay. Okay. It doesn't leave threads. Did you say uh, Nolan or Flanagan? I'm sorry, Flanagan. Yes. Sorry. Thank you. Uh, So that works as a capstone for what Flanagan wants to do with his story. It does make a hard break, a transformative break with the source material. You know, he he set this in the world of of Hill House. And I don't know how much you've paid attention to the original novel, but like he took names of characters and certain traits and kind of blended them into this. So there's a Theodora and all that. He has transformed the Hill House narrative with that ending. And the last thing I'm going to say is that is a very uh, Flanagan-esque ending. Think about how a lot part of what I love about him is so much of his horror ends on a positive note. Oculus stands out really in his portfolio as Mm -hmm. one that doesn't. Absentia also, but like Before I Wake, happy ending. Hush, happy ending. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Gerald's Game, happy ending. And I like that in horror movies. I like horror that raises a very real specter who's dangerous and evil and people respond to it and they overcome it. That's what I like about it. Just so many of my favorite movies. Uh, I like that about The Exorcist, right? This priest uh, decides to give himself for the life of this little girl. I mean, we can just go on and on. So I don't oppose those endings. I love it about Nolan's work, but I also don't know if I can emotionally bring myself to, to the point where I'm happy that half this family is trapped with these ghouls. In this house for all eternity. Okay. I, I, th- I'm, I think that's fair. You also, like there's a version of this, I guess maybe that would make it better that basically if you just crowd that thing full of positive energy, it would push some of the negative to the, to the margins. So you have like Mr. Dudley carrying Miss Dudley there to die mm-hmm. and she reunites with her children. Right. Mm-hmm. But are we supposed to believe the other children are going to come and die in Hill house? Right. And if they don't, do they spend the afterlife with the other family members who are there in the red room? So I'm, I'm divided Voted on that, Uh, but it's no. I mean, why do I keep doing that? It's it's Flanagan, and it works for the story. So, uh, yeah, those are my unsorted thoughts. What about you, Derek? You're probably more clear headed about this than I am per usual. Oh man, I don't know if that's true or not.
0: Um, I really enjoyed the ending of the of the series. Um, I, I felt like that, but, but I also understood everyone's complaints about it. Um, and even the, even the things that you're saying right now, they, they do make sense. One of the things that was brought up to me by one of our Facebook, uh, group members was she didn't understand why the house became, why the house was the main villain throughout the series. And then at the end of it wants peace, right? Mm -hmm. Like they're all in the red room, which by the way, that red room reveal was phenomenal. Um, they're all in the red room and Nell's there. And you know, there's there's a very cathartic uh way that the kids all come together and, you know, they're all loving on um they're all loving on on each other. They're loving on Nell. They're um, you know, there's they're, they're they're facing their greatest fears. And Nell is the one that brings them back.
1: Yeah. From um, within the house. Like from, she's from within part the house ecosystem. Yep.
0: Right. And, you know, and then it also made me think like is it like an allegory or an analogy of human nature where maybe the house itself isn't evil? It just hosts evil spirits. Hmm. And these evil spirits are the vindictive ones against against this family. You know, because you also see little Abigail. You also see Carla Gugino. You also see Nell. And all three of those people are trying to help this family. Yeah, um, And also with that red room, it was a place of comfort. For every one of the kids, and for Carly Gugino,
1: so well, and and that's the room that the house feeds off of, right? Right, which can be sinister or it can be nourishing, right? So like either the house is abusing these people and consuming them, or it's being nourished by their presence,
0: exactly. And so, I, I guess for me, I was I was happy to see, for the most part, the the these kids get a happy ending, right? Mm-hmm. Of course, Nell Nell is is gone, but. You know, um, Theo is finally able to get out of her sister's um, guest house and is able to commit to someone and is trying to move on with her life. Um, uh, Shirley finally confesses her affair to
1: her husband. Uh, she confesses afraid. her own lack of perfection in doing it, right? I think that's right. what we're supposed to see as her big, yeah.
0: Right. Um, and also, man, I'm really glad that they didn't make that guy out to be a dirtbag. Me too. Um you know luke is sober for you know, for 2 years uh steven goes back to his wife and they reconcile like these guys all have happy endings. And it's because of the sacrifice of the father, Mm -hmm. you know, the house, the house needs someone. Well, then I'll take care of it.
1: I'll fix it. Yeah.
0: Um, and, and, and then with, uh, with the, the little girl with Abigail and Mrs. Dudley and, and dude, like I was, I was in tears through about the last 15 minutes of the show because I was just like, I mean it, it was tugging on strings for sure mm-hmm. um but again like I I can understand where people had questions and and felt like that things were still kind of loose loosely uh ended and 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 you know things like that and of course what you said earlier as well uh I can agree with that but overall man I I I went into it apprehensive because I'd heard so much negative feedback on the on the 10th episode. So maybe that's why my defenses were were up a little bit, but also kind of down for expectations. But I really enjoyed it. I really thought that it it wrapped it up as well as it, as as you would think that a Mike Flanagan project would would wrap up because you're right. He does tend to focus on the
1: quote unquote happy ending. Well, just hit, again, this is what I was talking earlier about your clear-headedness. You you've kind of helped me sort that out just listening to you. I do like the idea that this house, which is full of evil, attempts to prey on this family and th- basically they're Love for each other, you know their parents' love for each other and for them. That the 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 healthiness of their family transforms this house from a place of you know predatory danger to a place where um, good things can be sheltered and thrive. So I, you know, I, t- I told you my mind was divided. I- I'm now wholly in the camp of that was a great ending. Good job, Mike Flanagan. Surprise, surprise, I got there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I think I think even without my scatterbrain thoughts today you would have gotten there eventually. So I take no I take no uh yeah, I can't even I, I'm done. I'm my brain's mush. Uh,
1: you're the wind beneath my wings, So yeah, right here. Please do. Please do or the bodyguard. <laughs> one or the other. Uh, Derek, I mean, we've been in on this and I guess we can talk about it even further, but we have gone well into over innings. Anything else you think we haven't covered on this one?
0: Uh, Let me ask you this question, man. Is there a season two? Uh, Well, uh, let me, let me ask you a follow
1: up question on that. Do you want a season two? I guess I don't. Yeah. I guess I don't. I don't want a Hill house. I don't want Hill house to become American horror story. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This is self-contained. Let it be. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, uh, I, I think that this is a great uh, perfect. That's the perfect way to describe it. I think it's self-contained. Uh, it's it's ten beautifully done episodes, uh, and 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 honestly, you kind of get to choose your own horror in this, right? Like, mm-hmm. what scares you? What scares you the most? Is it drugs and alcohol? Is it the failure to live up to family expectations? Is it commitment? Is it? Uh, I mean, you know, there's a plethora of things. And then there's also legitimate ghosts in this thing. So I mean, really, whatever. I think that's the beauty of it, right? Like whatever terrifies you the most is probably the person that you're going to be able to connect with on on a on a great level, mm-hmm. and also the, the one that you're gonna you're gonna hope gets out of this thing alive. I don't see a reason to bring these kids back to Hill House. Right. They've they've had their they've had their moment in the sun. Let them go live their lives. A mom and dad are reunited with Nell. Yeah, uh, I mean, as much as it could be wrapped up, it is wrapped up. And I, I would hate to see, you know, I don't want like the Jeffersons, not George and Wheezy, but just a you know, generic name. I wouldn't want to see the Jeffersons move into Hill House and the wacky adventures that ensue from there. You know sure. what I'm saying? Absolutely. Yeah, it would diminish it. So, uh, yeah. So I I think on this, this is perfect. Well, it's not perfect. It has its flaws. We've We've covered some of those today. Uh, but as a self-contained thing i think it's perfect the way it is and shouldn't be
1: touched yeah i'm with you that and i guess that's my final thought on this is this is flanagan doing classic horror mm-hmm. you know when you go back to like the early horror movies their haunted houses their you know green skin ghosts in in abandoned structures But he's doing it in a way that brings it right into 2018. Um, I I would say that back to the critics as well, that if if you don't appreciate this, it might be because you've become a little too hooked to, uh, you know, long haired Asian girls crawling out of the TV and jump scares every 10 minutes and... Um, some of the more visceral, immediate horror that has has become very prominent in the last two decades. Mm -hmm. I'm not criticizing you. That could just be what your appetite for horror is. But this belongs to the genre proper. It's a scary movie story, and the scares are built not just on ghosts, but what the ghosts represent in terms of human brokenness, the way secrets fester and suspicions fester and fear walls you off. So... I love it. I love it and can just say, jump scare or not, this is a classic horror series and deserves praise. Yeah, 100%. All right, Derek. So scale of one to 10, what would you give this one? Um, Man, I'm going to say nine and a half. I think
0: think this is my favorite thing, horror-wise, that Netflix has put out by a country mile. And at the risk of alienating our hereditary or A Quiet Place fans, I think this is probably my favorite horror uh, piece of the year.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, I wish I could make it more interesting by disagreeing, but I'm with you. I think this is one of the best Netflix originals, and that's high praise. But this this goes beyond the genre and just hey Netflix this is one of your signature productions um, nine and a half is exactly what I thought it's almost perfect. Yeah,
0: completely agree.
1: Uh, I I think it goes without saying. But Jeff, did we see something scary? Yeah, man. From the guy from the the floating ghost and the derby hat to um, you know the way Luke can try to escape his addictions but not be able to escape his reputation like. All of that is right here, and it's very scary.
0: Yeah, 100%. Oh, also, I want to say real quick, did you notice the E.T. lunchbox in Luke's
1: treehouse? Oh, no, I didn't. Isn't that a cool little twist with Henry Thomas playing Elliot? Yeah, that is great. Oh, another one that I can't believe we didn't talk about, but Flanagan tweeted this, so go check out his timeline, but the Oculus mirror, yeah, uh, it resides in Hill House. Yeah. Yeah, are you
0: gonna go back through? Uh, are you gonna go back through and try to find all those ghosts like the hidden Mickey's at Disney World? As soon as I can talk my wife into watching this. Yeah, I am too. There was one man. There was one that got tweeted out that was uh, like a face in the stairs. Did you see that one
1: that they tweeted? No, the one that I saw. Is when young dad it has been hearing rats behind the uh, the brick wall. Mm-hmm. He decides I'm going to chip my way in, and you get this scene where he leans into the brick wall to like look in there for the first time after he's removed some bricks. Mm-hmm. And past him, you can see a ghostly, I think, woman looking around the corner at him. That's oh, the man. only one I saw in the watch. So yeah, I'm definitely going back to find all those. Yeah, for sure. I'd like to, I'd like to know. Like,
0: I'd like to know how many there actually are, so you could find, like, have a checklist and just find them all.
1: Yeah, I wish there. I wish that was t- true too. The closest thing I've seen is that bloody disgusting list, who says like there's four in episode one. But dude, fans are going to create that really quick. In fact, we probably ought to go ahead and just start that. Yeah, uh, we can start that list. So. Yeah, we'll put that on our Reddit page, uh,
0: yeah. which is forward slash R forward slash Saw Something Scary. That's right. Yeah. So all right man we're uh, we're running we're running low on time here where can they find you on the social webs yeah man uh check me out at derickzoo.com uh, tour dates for january are coming up uh fairly quick i'm getting everything finalized right now i'm all through tennessee uh, I've got some Ohio dates. I've got uh, locking down Louisville, Kentucky today. Um, so all sorts of places that you can find me on on the road in January, uh, Derekzoo.com for that. And if you are in the Branson, Missouri area, we start, if you can believe this, we start our Christmas show at the Dolly Parton Stampede next Thursday. And so uh, I'm in rehearsals. As a matter of fact, as soon as Jeff and I get off this call, I'm going to shower and then go to rehearsals. So I'm, I'm in rehearsals rehearsals all the time right now and we open next thursday uh, but i'll say this man uh our christmas show is a lot of fun oh, cool. and so yeah so if you're if you're in the if you're in the branson area hit me up and uh i'd love to love to have you come up for the for the dolly Parton stampede christmas show
1: that is the best way to celebrate christmas i know of beyond Gathering with you local church body. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> so. Amen to that.
1: Amen to that. Jeff, where can they find you on the uh, socials? At Right Jeff, most places. And uh, I hope you uh, guys do reach out. Tell me what you thought about the episode. Tell us uh, together what you thought about heel house. And, uh, yeah, we, we just love to hear from y'all. Yeah. And the, the best way to reach us, um, as a collective group is in our Facebook group.
0: Uh, we saw something scary and you can just search that on Facebook. We saw something scary and, uh, it'll ask you to join and we'll accept you, uh, because we accept everyone. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we're just a very accepting group. And uh, we'd love to have you jump in on the conversation on this one. We usually always try to discuss the shows after, you know, after they've aired. And uh, most of the time, I feel like that all of us are in agreement in that group. But there's a lot of times where we're not. Uh, matter of fact, I put something up about this this very show today. Um, I think I put it up yesterday where uh, apparently people were having such, such anxiety From the show that they were vomiting and losing sleep and things like that. And and I thought that I thought that it was a bit much. Uh, I just can't see someone vomiting over the show. But um, I had uh, Mike D kind of kind of clarified it for me. So I don't think he vomited while watching the show. But, you know, he said that it was one of the most affecting things he's ever seen on Netflix. I agree with that. Mm -hmm. So, Mm mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah it's it's always a great conversation we're always having fun so we saw something scary uh, if you're a Twitter fan uh, follow us on scary podcast we do have a, uh, a fan page uh, on Facebook it saw something scary on there uh, I already mentioned the reddit we're on letterbox at what scary podcast yeah that's right yeah and we're on Instagram at saw something scary so uh, that's mostly where we get most of our hate is on Instagram <laughs> uh, <laughs> so so if you didn't like this give us a follow on instagram and tell us why we're pretentious divas and i'll uh yes and i'll be happy i'll be happy to respond in kind
1: i'm not better anyway it still cracks me up man i mean really i ought to change my twitter handle to pretentious diva so yeah i know i I feel the same way Uh, um anywho next week we're talking halloween yeah yeah. right yeah Yeah. And, and you've already seen it right I have, man. I don't want anything to come through all of my thoughts, but I'm looking forward to talking to you about it.
0: Okay. So I, just just based on your based on your uh, viewing of the show or the movie last night, you're giddy to talk about this next week? Quite. Okay, good. Then that's all I need to hear. Uh, and Jody Webster messaged me some of his thoughts on it last night, too. So I, too, am giddy about getting to watch this uh, whenever my effing schedule allows me to. But it'll be before next week when we record. I promise you that much. Hashtag uh, free Skeeter. Yeah good lord thank you yes um also want to remind you guys the week after that is our scary story um episode so if you have a scary story we have the voicemail phone number that you can call and leave a voicemail uh, up it's pinned i believe it's pinned to the top of our facebook page if it's not it will be by mm-hmm. by, by the time it you is. get this yeah, it okay makes. all right cool 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 that's what i was thinking um so give us a call let us know uh, you know give us your best real scary story um, if you've ever had any kind of encounters and then we'll finish it off with mine, which will trump all of yours. So suck it. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, so that's how we're going to celebrate Halloween with uh, some scary society ghost stories. I'm I'm excited about that. Jeff, buddy, always a pleasure to talk to you, man. And I'm really glad that we got the chance to, to watch this. And and hey, man, I don't want to I don't want to spam Mike Flanagan on social media. But my goodness, I want to talk to that guy. Yeah, for sure. For and sure. so, you know, maybe tag him and tag us and, you know, just, just not, you know, don't be like abrasive about it. Just be like, hey, Mike, can you pretty please find some time to, you know, I know you're rebooting. I know what you did last summer and Power Rangers and probably all sorts <laughs> of other stuff. <laughs> but just talk to Jeff and Derek for, for 15 minutes. That's all. I'm, I'm not, I'm not even asking for like an hour. I'm just 15 minutes long enough for me to, to Wayne and Garth him and be like, we're not worthy. That's all I want.
1: You Remember that time you made. Every movie I liked. That was awesome. <laughs> yeah,
0: that was awesome. Stupid. Uh, <laughs> so, anyway, so yeah, yell at, yell at, well, no, don't yell at Mike Flanagan. I, I feel like if I say that to some people, they'll all cap tweet him. I don't want that. <laughs> Uh but yeah, get it, Mike Flanagan, let him know that we're still we're still looking forward to uh to talking to him. So all right, man, that'll do it for this week's episode. Next week we're going back to uh, oh, uh There, thank you so much. Golly, I'm a horrible horror
1: person. <laughs> you got a lot on your plate, brother. Why don't you take us out of here and we'll let you get to uh get some of those things off your plate. Yeah, I get to go ride a horse. Hooray. Oh, Derek, before we go, I wanted to throw a recommendation to our listeners. A company named Serial Box reached out to us about a new project they're working on. And if you're like me, you, you may not hear Serial Box and know exactly what that company is. Um, I, I looked into it, and it's kind of a pretty interesting concept. Uh, NPR recently called them the HBO of reading. And what they do is produce original series that they send out as eBooks and audio episodes through their apps and their website and whatnot. And they they take you on these well-crafted stories. So, again, the idea of the HBO of reading um, seems really apropos. So, anyway, they are adapting a new... for lack of a better term, a new generation of story from uh, a YouTube series called Silverwood, which I'm sure some of our listeners will be familiar with. It was Tony Valenzuela's black uh, Black box TV on YouTube. And I think it, that, that channel's is hated. It had like, or maybe even does now still, like 900,000 subscribers. So there's a lot of people consuming the content. Well, they're taking that world and they're releasing a series called Silverwood, The Door. It's a horror series. Set out in a remote mountain town of Silverwood, California. Um, you know, looking into this more, this series has been talked about in like Dread Central, Den of Geek, lots of places that I'm sure our listeners are reading. And uh, yeah, there, there's quite a bit of interest about this. Here's the synopsis if anybody wants to track this down. So, uh, Silverwood the Door is going to be Twin Peaks meets the X Files in a horror series full of homicidal Boy Scouts, ravenous black goo. Mysterious doppelgangers and a Stranger Things style corporate conspiracy. Deep within the forest of Silverwood, California, a crack between dimensions has appeared. A dark force that lurks among the trees is growing stronger, determined to return home if it can, only uh, to gather the strength to open the door, which is bad news for a Boy Scout troop and the employees of Hirsch Capital on a company retreat nearby. As their darkest fears and impulses power the mysterious force, their bonding exercises take a deadly turn. And will anyone be able to keep their minds long enough to close the door before our world is torn apart? Uh, I think I've been saying they're going to release this thing. It actually released on October 3rd. And you can get either the first episode or the first, I guess, chapter in ebook form uh, for free right now. So anyway, if, if you guys are looking for more scary content to feel your earbuds with this Halloween season, you might want to track down cereal boxes, uh, silverwood, the door. And if you do so, I'd love to hear what your thoughts on it are. Okay. Thanks.
0: All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening. Remember to rate, review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Give us those five star reviews. They are coveted. We greatly appreciate them. For Jeff Wright, this is Derek Zhu saying thank you again for listening. Beware of clowns and sewers, white people with teacups, blind men with turkey basters, and the freaking Hill House. We'll see you guys next week. Bye bye, man.